Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code IntegrativeThoughts10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. Today's guest is Paris Hodges. She is an amazing health practitioner. She also has her own podcast, which there's about five episodes out, but she did tell me at the end of the episode, she has about nine unreleased that she's about to start getting going. So definitely check out her podcast if you feel called to that. She is a cyclical living guide. She assists women who seek to reclaim their sovereignty through deep alignment of the menstrual cycle. So obviously really heavily focused on women. That's what body she lives in. That's what she likes to do. That's what she likes to understand and give back to. She has a deep understanding of minerals, hormones, detoxification, and she really likes to blend sacred ideas. I believe she's into like sound therapy and breath work, but also kind of gets into the weeds like I do with the minerals and hormones 
tones and things that really matter, especially in today's age. So I love anybody who blends a little bit of sacredness, a little ancestral wisdom with modern day science, mineral balancing, anything like that is right up my alley. We talk about a lot in this episode. Paris Hodges has had a plethora of different diagnoses and different things that she's had to work through throughout her health span, her lifespan, whatever you want to call it. Um, She was even bulimic when she was pregnant. So she was binging and purging. We go deep into that and what binging and purging looks like on an energetic level, an emotional level, what a day in a life looks like. It's a very, very interesting subject. And she has really, really awesome ways of interpreting different life events throughout her life. And really how she words things is very, very almost like artistic. So I dig Paris. She's awesome. I think you're going to get a lot out of this show. So enjoy. Paris, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going well, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while and it feels good because I haven't recorded a show in a month. I've been releasing episodes, but I um, kind of pre-recorded all those before I went to Costa Rica and then I canceled one last week. So if I'm a little rusty, um, just just bear with me. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah, so you have a um, pretty interesting kind of background with some different health struggles that are unique. So I kind of want um, you to give us a little background about a little bit of your health challenges like growing up and how those unfolded and how you've kind of like, you have such an interesting perspective in the way you've clearly done a lot of deep work and thought around why some of this illness has manifested within you or different reasons why you believe they may have manifested. So why don't you kind of uh, dig into your background with the health challenges and we'll kind of unravel some of that. Yeah. Um, really good place to start <laughs> because I think where we have to really like understand part of this is that I come from a family. My mother experienced a multitude of miscarriages there, she had one before my older brother was born and my brother's nine years older than I am. And then um, uh, I have an older sister that is 14 months younger than my brother. And so we can start to see like the mineral like download. And then in between my older sister and I, uh, my mother experienced three miscarriages. And one thing that we in the you know alternative space kind of uh, understand, and for anyone who doesn't, um, we received 10% of our mother's mineral content, and that's for better or worse. So, uh, like we were talking before we even hit record around like heavy metals, heavy metals will be, you know, downloaded to the infant. And this is where we start to get that like generational uh, baggage, including like the mineral like propensity for certain patterns. And, um, you know, what lays the foundational groundwork for what I would go on to experience throughout my life is that I was nursed for six weeks and then I was put on rice cereal from a bottle. And one of the things that isn't talked about near enough, at least in my opinion, is that two thirds of your lymphatic system exists inside of your small intestine. And so my original like imprinting as an infant was that my body wasn't actually uptaking like human 
uh, bioidentical lipids or proteins. I mean, I was like uptaking like fortified, iron fortified rice cereal during a time when I should have been receiving breast milk. And so like my body was never really like actually creating the the oceanic um, like water that I needed in order to exist. And so at approximately six or seven months old, I ended up manifesting meningitis, spinal meningitis. And by the divine grace of Providence, um, my family happened to be in uh, Hawaii at that point in time. And the doctors in Hawaii knew exactly what I had, began treating me. Very sadly, we could not stay in Hawaii. And so when we came back to the mainland and into California specifically, the doctors in in the Bay Area uh, refused to do a spinal tap on me. And they um, they said that I just had pink eye. And my mom literally had to force them to, to do the spinal tap to prove that I had meningitis. Um, which I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for. But, you know, when you have something that that is that is that invasive on that young of a system that doesn't have the adequate mineral support that it needs, I mean, that's a really big imprintation to carry on for the rest of your life. And, you know, um, it kind of goes twofold. Uh, an infant uh, the following week ended up dying in the same hospital from meningitis. And so I kind of grew up with this, this other belief system of, I am so lucky to be alive. I could have been dead or in a wheelchair for my entire life. And so I like overextended the usage of my body as a result, because I always felt like, you know, the fact that I was a human and still here on this planet was like such a gift. But I chronically did not feel well, like throughout my childhood, I experienced gushing bloody noses. Um, I mean, I just, it, it felt like I was in a fog most of my life. In fact, my son asked me re very recently, he said, um, did you enjoy learning when you were in elementary school? And I like, I really didn't. I mean, I loved learning about the human body. Like I was fascinated and just like enthralled with the, the human body, but I really struggled a lot in school. Um, like I was always in the, the, the gate class, like the gifted and uh, what, it, what does it stand for? Gifted and talented enrichment or something like that. But I always was like at the, bottom rung of the gate class like I just found it like to be quite a struggle to like actually learn and I couldn't figure out why like I have a younger sister who seemed to be like really well adjusted to to doing homework or completing things and for some reason it just felt like I continually had this fracture in my system that like wasn't able to actually fully metabolize life and so um, when I was in approximately fifth grade, I was diagnosed with a learning disability called scotopic sensitivity. It's kind of a, it's a bit of a unique one. 
um, where people have, uh, it's unique in the sense that it's probably not discussed nearly enough, but there's quite a few people that like actually are impacted by it. Um, it's where reading black lettering on a white background causes the letters to really like jumble up. And this to me like becomes like all of the signs that my liver was super impacted already and asking for support. Cause we know that um, the, from, from the lens of TCM, literally, uh, the yeah. eyes are connected as an axillary like organ system to the liver. And so uh, like we can start to like really see all of the ways that my body was like expressing a desire for deeper support. And um, when I ended up, when I was in high school, my senior, sorry, my sophomore year of high school is when I developed a relationship with bulimia. And it was during a period of time when the internet was like um, a little bit less guarded. Like it was a wild, wild west. To, to be honest, and um, there used to be these websites they referred to as pro-MIA and pro-ANA sites, which were all dedicated to um, anorexia and bulimia, what they referred to as thinspiration. And I was a, I was a distance runner, and um, my physical build is a bit sturdier than though what you would typically find um, of a distance runner. And I used to say like, this is where we can like really begin to understand like what's happening in an internal system because people's words will tell on themselves. Um, but I used to always say I was fighting a lot of genetics to be a distance runner because I wasn't designed to be a distance runner. I don't have the body like of a distance runner and I, I really was fighting a lot of genetics to like break free from a life that I didn't want to be living. And so anyways, entangled myself with bulimia, which I do actually, like we were discussing before we hit record, I do believe was a brilliant way in which my body was trying to, um, to rid itself of the toxic load that it was carrying from like my youth. Um, and then we, we go on like, gosh, I think I've received just about every possible like attempt at a diagnosis that I could have over the years. Um, and mostly because like, you know, when we, when we look at the lens of bulimia too, I was depleting myself to such a degree every single day that, I mean, I was just in sympathetic overdrive, but my, that too was an attempt at a, at a cure, right? Like um, the glymphatic system needs the body to be in a sympathetic state in order for it to function. And, um, and I do think that like what I was existing in on a, know, frequency level in the world was all an attempt at a cure for my brilliant body to keep me alive. Um, when I was in college is when I experienced my first miscarriage. I was engaged at the time and we were intentionally 
um, trying to conceive. And from there, I ended up really sick after the DNC, like my body just started rejecting everything. Um, and I ended up needing to medically withdraw from that semester. And it led us on a bit of a wild goose chase. I was really fortunate that the man that I was engaged to, his grandfather had been diagnosed with celiac disease. And so at some point his mother was like, have you ever considered that maybe you're allergic to gluten? Which, you know, like I have a very different lens of, but it was clearly something that needed to be like, dedu like deducted out of my system to like lower some degree of inflammation in my body. Um, probably also because I was eating tons of fortified, like very cheap food because I was quite a poor college student and student athlete at that. Like, I wasn't a football player, so it wasn't like I was receiving like large amounts of money at all for being an athlete. Um, and then what would end up continuing on to, because, you know, in the backdrop of all of this occurring is I was I was experiencing debilitating menstrual cycles every single, every single month. And I mean, like extreme amounts of blood loss, um, right before I ended up conceiving, um, unintentionally my, my now gift from God of a son. Um, I was, it was told to me that I had endometriosis to such a degree that I might not ever be able to conceive. And I was offered my first, first offering of a hysterectomy when I was 25 years old. And then a couple of months later, ended up pregnant, but they thought, they thought that I had lupus. They thought that I had leukemia. I had already been diagnosed with IBD. Like, I mean, my body was just like, breaking down very slowly. Um, I had a not so easy pregnancy, but like I, my consciousness really began to shift during that pregnancy. And from the time that my son was born, it was like something just like clicked into alignment. And it really shifted the trajectory of, of my life as a whole, because it was like my internal intuition just really turned on there's something really special about what a, what a woman holds in her body when it comes to bringing into existence life and um however like <laughs> again just a whole mess of absolute depletion like postpartum is when i started experiencing um not I started experiencing memory loss, funny that I couldn't even say that there, <laughs> but it was to such a degree, like I was in a customer facing role at that point in time, I was a nail artist and I would be doing somebody's nails and I would forget where I was much less like any words. And it was really scary. And anybody's response to me was purely, um, oh, that's just pregnancy brain. I was like, I'm a year postpartum. <laughs> this is at some point we gotta like unwind this a little bit more. But I was, all, I was also consuming large amounts of green juice during that time. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of like Kimberly Snyder. Uh, she was really big in the like vegan and raw food um, world. So I mean, that was 
that was also what I was nourishing myself with. Um, and anyways, we, we like fast forward some of the story because I mean, I was just, I was, I was a mess. I was habitually sick. I just about anything that would happen in the world. Swine flu happened at one point and I contracted swine flu. Like I was, it was always kind of the butt joke that like anything that was wrong, I was probably going to end up contracting it either psychosomatically or (laughs) something else. Um, Like as we were talking about too, ionic mimicry. So I don't know what part of that was like just indicative of how porous and unboundaried I was also. Um, But when we fast forward this story, uh, I ended up manifesting cervical cancer at the beginning of 2019 which led to like my even greater awakening as i walked myself into the most physically verbally mentally emotionally sexually abusive relationship i'd ever been in reflective of the relationship that i had with myself and that eventually led to um, me walking myself into the rooms of aa from after doing the phone discovery call with a potential coach that I wanted to work with and her saying like, girl, you are addicted to chaos and you are addicted to challenge and I can't work with you until you walk through this 12 step program. And so what that opened the door to was um, an even deeper understanding of the alternative health world that was already like whispering to me in a lot of ways. Like I had gone down the bulletproof rabbit hole, a lot of the Dave Asbury and um, Dr. Axe was like always up on my, mm-hmm. on my computer, like web browser, um, because I was trying to understand what was happening in my body. And so the last couple of years, the world's, my world has been blown wide open in much deeper ways of trying to like, get to the root generationally of what's occurring inside of my body and being expressed as well as then like helping to support like my son, because it was, it became very clear to me um, when he was pretty young, how much my health, like my emotional health, my like health in general impacted him because when he was really young, um, just about every winter, we were in the hospital for some extended amount of time. And it became, it's been wild for me to begin to see, like, as I started shifting my behavior sets um, around, like, right before I turned 30, before I ended up getting sober, I had made the conscious decision that I wanted to stop being bulimic mostly because I had a child who was starting to mimic those behaviors, right? This is, this is an interesting connection with the ionic mimicry. Like he had never actually seen me like make myself throw up, but he would start mimicking that behavior in different ways. And I was like, Oh my God, I need to stop doing this (laughs) because it, it was wild to me. The fact that he could somehow pick up on that, and um, near that type of behavior. And what we know too is that like when, when an infant 
or when a baby is forming inside of the mother, we pass stem stem cells are passed to the mother from the baby. And so when we think about that from that like energetic, like weaving and almost like deeper, deeper levels of enmeshment, it's been really interesting to kind of like see how much, you know, it, it can be really easy as mothers for us to hyper focus on the health of our children that we forget that the health of what what's happening with us really impacts our children too. And so either way, um, the last three and a half years have been pretty incredible for me and just the continued like unwinding. I came across the work of Morley Robbins um, that was shared with me by a girlfriend. My, my world became blown open to um, simply from understanding uh, the energetics of the menstrual cycle that led to the deeper like energetics of the hormone cycles um, and what made a female body like really unique and special. Um, sorry. You want to like note this. Can <laughs> you hear that like shaking in the background? I can on my end. Okay, cool. Just no. wanted to make sure. Um, but yeah, it, it's been quite, it's been quite a ride <laughs> to say the least of like different health, um, different health. Oops. Sorry, it's like trying to figure out what's happening. <laughs> it's like, it almost sounds like something's being jackhammered. Um, but anyways, it's been quite a ride for me to really like come back home into my body and understand the way in which I was created to exist as a woman. And that's been the, like the longer thread of, you know, my health journey from a child that grew up in a very like masculine oriented world. I didn't, fully mentioned, but I went on to be a, a collegiate, a division one collegiate athlete too. And so that was like playing in the backdrop while I was like bulimic and then also working myself out to such a like high degree that I was continually in a very depleted state. Um, and, you know, in a very loving way, attempting to keep myself safe, but uh, just really like abandoning myself over and over and over again. Wow. There's, there's literally like so many avenues that I want to, <laughs> I wanted to let you go through all of that because I've heard you discuss that in other <laughs> podcasts. And I was like, I'm just going to let her just lay it all on the table. And then we'll circle back to the points that I really want to touch on because it's, <laughs> it's just so much. And, it, and it's more common than people think people just, get these repeated diagnoses. It's this, it's that. And I, and I'm, I'm like, I believe some of this stuff's got to boil down to like one thing. And I think we've kind of come into agreements on that with the minerals and the metals that we'll get into later. But I want to circle back to like bulimia. Cause that's, I know you said you thought it may have been a, like a, a purgative effect of maybe the toxins wanted to come out. Maybe you had mold symptoms and you were just trying to get it out. But can you tell us like what like, you know, because when people are 
addicted to a substance like I was or alcohol. It's like, you know, we know what that looks like, right? You're popping pills in the day, you're drinking at night, you're smoking weed, whatever. You're staying up all night. But like bulimia seems a lot different. And I want to, what does like a day in a life of someone who's bulimic look like? And is there like, how are you hiding that? And then I also wanted to ask, it seems like you were even doing that through pregnancy, correct? So why don't you tell us like what a day in a life looks mm-hmm. like emotionally and how, how you are even handling being bulimic? And then I'll dive into the pregnancy part. Oh boy, this is a big question. So I think part of part of this where I think we have to begin this is that the feminine exists inside of the body and right the masculine is all very intellectual. And we're not taught as humans, at least I don't know if you were taught, I know I wasn't taught. I find that it's more common that we're not taught this, but many of us never learned how to exist inside of our body and to hold the sensation of being a human. And one of the ways that I would, or one of the triggers around bulimia for me was actually in my relationships with men. And part of like, this was like, woven into, I was told that I wasn't allowed to date until I was 17, but I was, I like started having boyfriends when I was like, you know, quote unquote boyfriends when I was in kindergarten. Like I was very mm-hmm. interested in the opposite sex. And, you know, that continued into like, obviously one of the things that happens in high school is we're learning to negotiate relationships with like, our interpersonal relationships are really important to us. At least they were, they were really important to me. And I was always trying to navigate this life that I wanted to live while at the same time navigating like my lived idea of safety existed under the confines of, I wasn't allowed to do X, Y, and Z. So it was like trying to live a life of compliance, but also like, also being attracted to the opposite sex and wanting to explore what relationship felt like with the opposite sex. And because I was never really taught much about my body at all, learning to hold the sensation of, you know, sexual energy or sensual energy when in relationship with somebody else was the way that I dealt with that was by binge eating. I had this very vivid memory of there was a guy that was over, I was going into my senior year of high school. So I was almost allowed to date. And there was a guy over at my house and like, I wasn't allowed to ever have boys in my bedroom or anything like that. And um, I was, I can, I could feel like the sensation in my body. And the only thing that I could think to do was to just binge like food. Like I was like in the pantry, like trying to find chips or like make popcorn or like do things. And I remember he turned to me and he was like, are you really that hungry right now? (laughs) And, And that was like, part of it is like, I was trying to numb this the overwhelming sensation of feeling that I didn't know what to do with. 
And that was a bigger part, like, right? Like many of us are using any sort of numbing technique in order to like, um, to numb that sensation, that overwhelming sensation of just simply being inside of a human body, right? Like we don't come, humans don't come with like exact instruction manuals of like, here's how your body works and here's how to exist inside of it. And to your question about like, what did a day in a life look like as a bulimic? I was also, you know, for those who understand astrology, I'm a 12th house Pisces. So I like sun sign. And so like Pisces are already a very mutable sign and really wishy-washy. I am like spread out all over the place. Don't have a lot of boundaries. And the 12th house is generally associated from my understanding with addiction. So I was just like primed for this when I came into this existence. And um, part of what helped me feel more secure was having a lot of very rigid structure. And so I was the type of person that that also didn't have strong boundaries around saying like no to food. Like part of how I created um, a felt sense of belonging in my family was I was known for not being the picky eater. Like I was always applauded for the amount of food that I would eat or the kind of food that I would eat. And I was also really, I loved cooking. And that love of food, when you don't have boundaries, at some point, like, you're also then looking at, like, your metabolism changes into puberty. And my mind did in such a way that I started to gain a lot of weight. And like, my, my hips widened. And right, like, so we're also looking at this from the lens of, I was also a high caliber athlete. And I started to receive the messages from outside sources that I needed to, if I wanted to like, to do well in my sport, that I needed to lose weight. And the only way that I could then think of, like, how do you combat this, um, is the excretion of, you know, the purging of what it is that you're consuming, because the sensation of actually like working through the steps of metabolizing life felt like it was too much. And so a day in a life, I needed what I, what I felt I needed in order to exist as a human inside of my body was to wake up and run for at least an hour. And if I didn't do that, then it was like everything was shot to hell. And then um, I would crave a lot of very high carbohydrate and sugary things that then would later not make me feel super great. And so once once I had already hit some sort of, if if that didn't happen, then it was like I was already like on the path to going like, well, today's already screwed. So I might as well like blow the entire load. Mm -hmm. And so I would just, I would binge eat 
like for the rest of the day. And it was when I was in college, it would happen multiple times like where, um, you know, every, when I didn't have excuses around like not being able to eat gluten and then you see like everybody else, like I went to college in the South. Right. So one of the things that every meal was full of was like fried foods and, you know, that's what we were being served um, or pizza or, you know, just these common things that you grow up with, like as comfort foods. And, and so I would reach for those things, but I didn't have an off switch. I think that's the, the, the bigger thing is I never felt like I had an off switch. So it would be like, I would binge eat at breakfast, purge, binge eat at lunch, purge, binge eat at dinner, purge, binge eat a bunch of dessert, purge, and then be like really exhausted and then go to sleep (laughs) and wake up and do it all again and hope to make it further than I did the day before. Wow. Is there like a form of like adrenaline or something that you think you got by like getting away with it by like sneaking and hiding like similar to like i think that some people when they're like maybe cheating in a relationship like there's like the thrill of getting away with it right is there like an aspect of that to to binging and purging yeah i don't I don't know if it's necessarily for for me how I experienced it, if it if it was like getting away with it. I do think that there is a certain aspect of it's like you're cheating the system. You know, hmm. like there what I was messaged with a lot like by um you know you would see on social media because I grew up during the time of social media's like rise into the public but there was always like information of like men men don't want to date girls that are just eating salads and so you know with if i'm the girl that is able to consume food and then you're going like wow paris you can eat a lot and you never gain any weight like it it was i guess in a way it felt like this getting away with something i think part of the high would come from the actual purge more so than the behavior it was like that the release like really feeling that like deep um like a combo purge like there's like something about it that purge out is part of what really gave me more of that adrenaline high than than i think the behavior of like oh i'm getting away with something and nobody knows it because i was still in such a like mental i mean i was beating myself up so much and then that also would cross over to the relationship with alcohol because I, because of my metabolism was so shot, uh, alcohol wouldn't metabolize in my body um, in the same way that it would with other people. So I could like binge drink and everyone's like, wow, you can drink so much. And then I would hit a wall like because it would finally like get to my mm-hmm. liver. And then I was also able to use that as an excuse for why I would end up puking at the end of the night because like I would drink, I would get really hungry and then I would want to like purge. And so alcohol became 
a support system for the allowance of the purge because my body was trying to just like reject everything. However, at some point, like you deplete yourself real quick with all of those behaviors. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the purge alone seems very stressful. You're purging out whatever you're sounds like you were eating poor nutrient sources in general. Like I was just like white food, sugary food, you know, poor college kid. I I used to actually always count my protein because I got into that, like in high school from powerlifting. So that was actually probably one of my saving graces, but then everything else would be whatever, you know, carbs and white flour and whatever else just happened to be there. But I would always eat protein. So maybe that saved me a little bit. And it's funny you say that you didn't feel like you had an off switch because I don't feel like I did either. And I used to think that I used these foods as like the cover up of like kind of feeling like you said, like any kind of like emotion, right? Because I didn't get a lot of emotion and love in the household growing up. And so when I would feel some of those sensations, they were kind of weird for me, like within relationships. And I think that I did use food and alcohol to kind of cover up some of like that actual, like opening up, kind of letting down the armor. But then I I, I also, as I keep digging into research, I I look at how these biotoxins, whether it be mold or it be heavy metals, how they obviously affect hormones. And one of those are leptin. So I got really big into leptin this last year and I started to realize that toxins actually affect leptin. So if it's affecting leptin, then of course you don't really have that signal of actually ever feeling full. And I felt like I never really had that signal until, you know, the more I've came out of my Lyme, I've always kind of like binge. I never did the purging part, but I would like binge, right? Like crazy binge. And I always worked out all the time. So I didn't like gain a whole bunch of weight, but if I didn't watch it, I would, because I would super binge, even though I ate a whole bunch of protein, it was like, I could never fill up and I could keep eating more and more. Um, I, I do think that some heavy metal exposure or whatever biotoxin illness I may have had, like growing up that was affecting my immune system also affected my leptin response. And that's what caused me to overeat quite a bit. So it's interesting that you think that you had some of those uh, metals or mold or something going on with inside of you as well. And that could have been part of why you never felt full. Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting thing to start to like parse through even deeper. And we, we were talking about this before we started recording about the heavy metal aspect. I mean, one of the questions that I had posed my mother, because like on a physical level, like my, my breast tissue never really developed. Like when I hit puberty, like my bottom half and my hips widened quite a bit. Um, There's an author named Lise Barbeau. She wrote a book called Heal Your Wounds, Find Your True Self that was shared with me by Hamid Jabbar back uh, two and a half years ago that really helped like shift a lot of things for me. But she's of the belief set that we we will uh, have these physical manifestations because of the wounds that we're here to heal. But outside of that, um, that's generally a sign of a selenium deficiency. And what we were talking about, um, you know, around the heavy metals is that mercury has an affinity for the selenium um, receptor sites. And so like one of my questions to my, to my mom was, um, I was curious if she had had any amalgam fillings like inserted in like, in that time frame between my older sister and I, because I do think, and also like, 
through conversations with my uncle. Um, I don't know if you know how much like, like our parents' generation was exposed to mercury to such high degrees. And I mean, amalgam fillings actually came out in the 1850s. And then they were using mercury as a uh, cure for syphilis too. So like all of this like extreme exposure that then we, we get the ionic mimic mimicry where, you know, because of other deficiencies, it's an attempt at a cure inside of the body. And so I really think that I was impacted um, by a lot of mercury without even knowing it. And then a lot of that was like then further impacted, like we were discussing at the beginning around the amount of like um, formula, fortified formula that I was consuming, the amount of inorganic iron filings that I was consuming throughout my my youth, like unknowingly, because that was just part of the common diet. And I didn't have all of the other, like we were also a family with tubs of margarine and everything else. Me too. You know, (laughs) like, right. And so like it made, it now makes a lot of sense as to like why it is that I was experiencing the things that I was experiencing. And it's been really interesting to try to shift some of that. So um, yeah, the leptin part of it is really, is really fascinating. And I, I do think that these are an attempt, right? Like at a cure uh, to some greater degree, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to circle back around to your pregnancy because it sounded like you were still bulimic in your pregnancy. And then you talked about uh, your child kind of mimicking some of these behaviors. Have you ever read, um, uh, I know it's Mark Woolen. What, it's, it didn't start with you. Have you ever read this book? I actually haven't read that. So one this yet. is right up your alley. It's wild. I actually want to reach out to him. I did reach out and they said he's a little busy creating I don't know if he's writing another book or creating another course or he's doing something right now, but um, I heard about him on Paul Check's podcast and he's been on Extreme Health Radio and a couple other ones, but he's got this book called It Didn't Start With You. My wife and I loved it. And it it basically, from what I gathered from it, like the cells create these memories, right? So what you can actually experience something within this lifetime that not only your parents like actually so you're saying basically he didn't never see you purge but he's mimicking these right because the cells hold memory and now he's got your cells but even deeper than this he goes into like basically like say your uncle committed suicide like before you were even born your mom's cells can hold that memory of the uncle committing suicide and then you could potentially have suicidal thoughts at the same age the uncle committed suicide and and he like he pieces all these together through his like psychology practice it's bizarre but that kind of came to my mind when you said that he never seen you actually purge but he started to mimic some of the uh kind of patterns that you had and, and and i wonder if it's some of this kind of like memory that the cells hold that just are automatically embedded in him because you were doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting thing to really begin to think about on deeper levels. I, I wrote a piece about this back um, at the be- in January about how um, polymorphisms or the SNPs in the DNA, like strands that lead to things that we, you know, 
like MTHFR, like these genetic mutations, quote unquote, um, that tend to be predispositions to certain behavior sets inside of a, a person. And like, I do think that there, there is a total um, passing down, like I come from a family of addicts. And so to your question, like, yes, I was bulimic while I was pregnant, which like, bless all things holy that my son turned out as healthy as he actually like is. But I mean, like I, um, I mean, part of the way that I worked around that was, uh, you know, during the morning sickness phase of pregnancy, like I had an excuse, right? Like I also was nauseous, like to no end, but I also had another excuse to kind of get away with it. And I like convinced myself that it was okay um, to do because of the fact that so many other women would experience morning sickness to such a degree. But I was pretty intensely um, nauseous given (laughs) I was probably so damn depleted of any sort of like retinol source or B vitamin source that my body would have needed to, to be able to support that um, not existing in my system. Then when I actually started looking as though I was pregnant, I gave myself a lot more leeway. At some point, something shifted where it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't not eat. Like I need, I overrode that. And then part of my saving grace when I was nursing my son was um, that I would be so exhausted by the end of the day that I wouldn't go through my usual pattern. So the bulimia began to decrease and it wasn't, it was no longer like me binging and purging, you know, three to four times a day. It was now me binging and purging maybe once because I was now like comfortable enough in my body to like hold that level of food. And so it was like, it was like a really long winding, um, long unwinding. Like there's a version of me that did exist where I was puking. Like my personal record was 19 times in a single day. And I don't mean just like 19, like, singular times i mean 19 binge and purge cycles in a single day and there's you know every single time i was doing it there was multiple you know times on top of that and that's why when when i got ended up with the physical expression that i did in 2019 i was really scared that i was dying at that point in time even though i had in the years previous attempted to stop being bulimic, I was still playing around with that pattern in different ways. And though I wouldn't have been clinically diagnosed as bulimic, um, it would, I would still flirt with that line. And I was puking just straight blood, but I was so scared to go into the doctor because I didn't want them to end up doing one of those like, um, esophageal cameras or anything because we had had a family member who had had lung cancer and the the degree of um, she she had a lot of bile that would go up into her esophagus and just like the the radiation um, ended up 
they tried to lower a camera into her esophagus and it ended up tearing because it was so thin. And that story played into my mind where I was like, I am really scared to go see like what damage I've done. But I was so incredibly sick. And so, yeah, like I, I don't doubt part of it is the energetic connection that he and I had. And, and I often wonder what it is that I received generationally to, to have manifested some of this stuff. Like, what is it that I'm here to do in our family line to clear out, um, to offer the opportunity to like be a cycle breaker and, and actually like shift our DNA encoding and our generational line to open up the possibility to exist in a different like timeline. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that we kind of choose these paths before we even come into this uh, physical form. And I, I used it that a lot as my guiding light when I was literally thought that I was dying. Like I had no idea what, like I, it was just so long and so hard and I had lime and mold and metals and I had, you know, just a plethora of things. And, and I kept, you know, I was doing yoga and I'd meditate all the time and asked why and start started praying and, the, you know, the only answers I really received was kind of similar to that. Like you're here to kind of change for one, you chose this path because you always do, um, before you come here. And at least that's my belief as a spirit. And also you're here to, my family is also just, you know, lots of trauma, but none of them have really done the deep work, never really took health into consideration. And I feel like I'm here to kind of change that narrative and at least change it for me. I can't change them you know, the elder generation, you know, you're not really, I'm not here to do that. I don't think because they're a little stuck in their ways being 50, 60, whatever, how many ever years old. So I'll just let that, you know, work itself out how it normally does. But I can change like my younger cousin is really receptive. Like he just got his doctorate's degree and I've had him, he was doing keto for a while. Then I had him doing animal base and he's taking the magnesium and the supplements. And he claims that that like me helping him with that is really what helped him grind through his doctorate's program kind of with ease, you know, just being healthy and not, you know, out drinking with people and just getting good sleep. And so, you know, if I could just at least make an impact on him cause he's younger and he's more receptive and he's intelligent. So, I mean, Hopefully with uh, me, him and I, we can maybe with our children start a new family lineage that is, you know, a little bit more conscious, a, l- a little bit more aware who, you know, isn't just at the doctors taking advice because I-, I had the same thing. I- I've talked about it in other podcasts. Like I had 12 different ear surgeries. I had pneumonia when I was really young, I almost like died. Um, I was put on formula too because my mom just went like straight back to work because she was a single mom type of thing. So I was just formula baby. I don't even know what kind, but I'm sure it was fortified iron and seed oils if I had to guess. And all just all the things immune immune compromised, you know, I would break out in these rashes and fungal infections that they wouldn't know what it was. And that athlete's foot whenever I play sports and my feet always itched. And it's weird. You know, what's funny is I haven't had one of them fungal infections since probably high school or maybe early college. And since I started doing the mineral balancing program, I had one on my face last week. So it's like a form of retracing, right? So as the immune system begins to correct itself, some of your past injuries may flare up or some of these past infections that you have may flare up. And I actually took it as a good sign, but it was, it was 
pretty eye-opening to see like if you start to heal on more of these deeper levels you can start to retrace the patterns of the past and super super interesting but i do think that we do choose this path and i chose this path for a reason and i'm finally coming out of the other side of it a little bit yeah i it's really interesting that you bring that up this is the part where i start to like i think that this stuff is really fascinating i'm curious if you like saw in your life some sort of like behavioral pattern associated with that like new fungal expression like when you're saying like you're retracing can you was there also something happening in your life simultaneously um that seemed to take you back to a different like time of your life too well there was an aspect of it actually happened right when i got back from costa rica so part of me goes was i just swimming in weird jungle water or was i like or, but it was it, literally in the exact same place. It was identical. It was like too common and literally in the exact same location for me to think that it wasn't some form of like healing episode. And so not, not really because I was, um, I was over in Costa Rica. So I don't think I did much of that was just us kind of hiking and thriving, but who knows, maybe the though the water and the nature were healing me even on a more deeper level that caused some retracing, not just the minerals, you know, just being in nature all the time, disconnected, not working, relaxing when you felt like it. So part of that could have been why, why it started to heal on a deeper level as well. Yeah. I'm always interested to see like what it is. Cause I'm of the belief that the body will magnetize in the life events that it needs to help with a certain like detox process. And I say this um, from something that I was experiencing back in January, where I believe that I had a lot of mercury being dumped out of my brain finally. And I was like feeling this metallic substance moving around as my body was attempting to detox it out. And I woke up one morning and I felt it land inside of my lungs. And I was like, Oh shoot. Cause I like, I like to see the body also from the lens of traditional Chinese medicine and the, the pathology as well as the virtue that exists like with, that um, particular organ system. And my first thought was, oh no, I'm gonna need to cry this out. And <laughs> sure enough, like within like two hours, I had an entire life event that played out that led to me like having this big, like emotional release. And I was like, oh, this is so fascinating because I, I, I really think that like we end up like the human body is so damn intelligent. And, you know, in the different worlds that you and I like cross over into where I really started to, to see this in my life was when I started working with combo, because from my understanding, like down in the jungle, they'll give combo to a person. Like if they're experiencing um, like laziness or anything, they're like, ah, oh, do combo. It'll help like clear <laughs> things energetically. And the very first combo practitioner that I had ever worked with was really clear about when you do this, everything in your life will start to shift, like pay attention to what else is happening. Um, and, you know, when I was working, as I've been working with a homeopathy practitioner, homeopathy does this also, like they're not just concerned about what's happening in your life. It's also like, what's energetically happening in the lives of those around you? And like, how is this serving your your greater deepening, 
your uh, shifting of consciousness. And so it's interesting to me how how we do end up playing out particular patterns and that the body's always seeking um, reconciliation in some way, shape or form, even if it's on a subtle level, like there's something being woven in deeper that we're being asked to heal and to bring into completion. And so I've, I've also been seeing how there's different life events that are like being brought to me almost like as, you know, tests in a way of like, okay, have you learned this one yet? And <laughs> I can feel it in my body too, like for what's happening um, and how it's impacting like my detox pathways and how it is, uh, you know, reflective of the way that my metabolism's working or like what's actually being expressed. This is, this is to me where the magic happens. <laughs> Hello everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman, and through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Yeah, you have to pay attention to these subtle subtle differences or events, I think, as they come along. And I believe basically everything's kind of a teacher. And if you don't reflect on it and draw the correlations is where you really kind of just, and most people don't, you know, most people just watch Netflix and they're like, oh, I don't feel well today. Or, oh, I, I used to have like this thing happen in high school and now I have one. Like they don't really like try to step back and take a look at it. But they're also really usually not doing any kind of like heavy metal detox or detox protocol either. But it is interesting. And I think that there probably is a lesson in there somewhere and something to teach you uh, along the way. I actually want to shift into it's ironic that I wanted to talk to you about AA today because I made a a post about sobriety being an addiction (laughs) earlier. I don't know if you've seen it, but. Um, I just made that today. So I want to actually, I, did. I want to, um, I didn't know how you would feel about that, but we'll, we'll, maybe we'll dive into that a little bit. What do you, what was your experience with AA and how to help you? Mm, this is a great question because I feel very similar to you on that sense of like, we, we see this a lot, even in the alternative health space right? Like the ultimate, the giant pendulum swings, where the the thing that you are running away from, you pull in to be a different degree of that same addiction. And so to understand my relationship with uh, AA, I think we have to understand like what led me into those rooms too. Um, So I did a call with a woman. It was a two hour long call. It was a call that forever changed my life. And at the end of it, she said, girl, you are addicted to chaos. You're addicted to challenge. And I can't work with you until you walk through a 12 step program. And then she challenged me to go through different iterations of the program. So I went into CODA, I went into Overeaters Anonymous, and then where I felt the most at home was in the rooms of AA. I mean, I probably could have gone to NA also, and there's, there's a whole slew of the different anonymous programs that I could have easily landed in. But I tell the story that 
in the rooms of AA is where I, where I met God, where I truly met God for the first time. And like, that's where I truly understood grace and felt really seen. However, similarly to what you've highlighted, I could feel that like underlying addiction programming that like still is just a proxy for the thing that you are avoiding really getting to the root of. And so I'm really grateful for my time in the program. And I will say that when I first started going to meetings, I wouldn't say that I was an alcoholic. I would say, hi, I'm Paris, and I'm addicted to the human experience because Mm -hmm. like it was a bulimia pattern that like I used alcohol to subside and and there's not really like bulimics anonymous or anything. <laughs> and in fact, like Overeaters Anonymous has some like really interesting rules around like you're not allowed to eat anything white and like it, it just becomes another addiction, right? Like we have to be aware of the the new numbing um the proxy that we are attempting to like bring in to hide that pattern, like without ever actually going all the way down into our body and all the way through to alchemize it deeply. And so what ended up kind of unfolding for me was uh, different pathways. I'm, I'm probably pretty like to look back and see it now, about six months into my sobriety is when lockdown happened. And so I wasn't able to go to meetings in the same way that I did prior. And so I ended up being led into a lot of different understandings around the human body. That's about the time that I started diving deeper into like the womb work, like womb, W-O-M-B, work and understanding the energetics of the menstrual cycle and then the hormones. And then that's part of what really helped me begin to unearth what, what was happening underneath it. Because like in the program, the program I think is amazing for a lot of reasons for getting to the root cause of like the resentments that we hold on to. Like one of my favorite quotes that have come from the program is that, um, uh, unspoken expectations or premeditated resentments. And I think really beginning to unearth like some of where it is that we're holding on to our resentments of God, where we're holding on to our resentments of one another and where it is that we're obfuscating responsibility for our deeper personal power, I think is really, really important. But there's a part of the anonymous program that I still think causes people to live too small of lives and not fully touch like who they are created to be. So I'm really grateful for it, but I do think that there is, there's a lot of addiction that still like hides in, in it in plain sight. Yeah. And I, it's funny. I, I actually used more of a psychedelic approach for my addiction. I really didn't plan on it being that way. I knew when I moved to Florida, that I want, I, you know, I, I, I left, like I used to smoke dabs and shit cause, uh, weed was legal forever in Michigan and I used to grow cannabis. So I was just smoked all day. So if, even if I wasn't drinking or like doing drugs, I was still just smoking all day cause I had so much cannabis laying around. And, 
was doing dab. So I left all like that behind and was like, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit partying. You know, I'm moving to Florida to change because I, I, I was slowly getting out of that party atmosphere, but I would get reeled back in because I had all of the friends. And my, one of my best friends is a DJ for like EDM shows and he'll open up for some bigger artists sometimes. And so I just get sucked back into it. And the next thing you know, I'm up for two days partying and same kind of cycle. Right. So I'm like, all right, let me move to Florida and like, you know, get some sunshine, get back into working out. And I always kind of kept my workout routine, but you know, just like get sober. And after I was sober for like, I think like two months or something, I'm like, still just felt a little off. So I was like, I'm just going to like go to AA to like talk, talk to people just to see, see what's going on in there. Right. Like, you know, just somewhere to express my, like free therapy is how I looked at it. Like I could pay a therapist or I can just go into AA and just like talk. And I went a couple times and I had this lady who had like been, she's been sober forever. She had a bunch of money, but she like AA changed her life. And I sat there and talked to her for like an hour after class one day. And she goes, you know, you know, you don't really need AA, right? She goes, because it, and, and you know what she told me? She said, it's because you meditate. Cause I had picked up on really heavy meditation practice. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got sober, like I was, sometimes I was doing like an hour a day. Like I was just really trying to like go within myself. And if I had any urge to smoke or drink or whatever, I would just meditate. And, um, she goes, a lot of these people, they do all the steps, but meditation's a step, correct? If I'm not, if I'm not wrong, I think meditation was part of the program that she said, like 99% of people leave out is basically what she was like told me. And she was like, I don't think you really need the 12 steps because you have the most important piece and that's meditation. Well, what's interesting to me, Matt, and you like kind of touched on this around the the use of psychedelics that gets forgotten about in the rooms of AA that I like I have found personally is that Bill W had his awakening from LSD. I think it was, it was either yep. LSD or acid. No, was, and and so thing. his alignment yeah. to a higher, higher power came from um, a actual psychoactive substance. However, there's a lot of people within the program who feel if you are do, utilizing any sort of psychedelic, that you are actually not sober and that it's like it can become very demonized and villainized. And like you're you're right, you're spot on that. I think that what I found in the rooms w- was exactly that. Like, I, I would say the exact same thing. Like, it was free therapy. But these people actually had the wherewithal to go like, oh, wait a second, this behavior isn't serving my highest good, too. And I do think at some point, like, I wouldn't have been able to heal the hormone stuff that was happening inside of my internal system if I had still been drinking alcohol. And so I did need to have like that extra excuse to not drink because it, I think it was like, I don't believe that my body was ever really metabolizing alcohol functionally from like a liver standpoint, because I believe like, that I had was always having methylation issues that then was like opening me up on a different spiritual level for things to like come into my system. And so like, I'm again, like I'm really grateful for it and I'm grateful. I came in contact with so many like amazing people that you hear that have like 
20 plus years of sobriety and you're just like, wow, like people that have like really done some deep inner work and they, they're living out the promises of the program in so many beautiful ways. Um, but there was just, there was something that was like slightly missing for me that I needed to go in other directions where people were a little bit more open and like, you know, I'm just a, I'm a rabbit hole kind of individual. That's part of what led me into a lot of places that I probably shouldn't have been <laughs> to begin with. And so, yeah, like I, I really align with a lot of what you're, what you're saying. And I think that there's, there's important things that get lost in some rooms of AA around like the, the coming to God moments and how much the psychedelics can actually be really impactful for, um, for somebody's like deeper awakening into a life of like emotional sobriety, because it's not just sobriety from a particular substance, right? Like we're trying to actually reach sobriety on a spiritual level. And like, how are we like coming to meet God in all of the moments that we're existing and really understanding the the patterns, but also then really like opening ourselves up to receive the greater treasures of being a human on this planet yeah and uh i just you know in that post i had today like i don't know if, if people who have gotten 100 sober realize the empowerment that they have if they've done quite a bit of this work like for me to be able to go have like an old-fashioned and a glass of wine or two at dinner but then not drink again for four months like that is empowering as fuck like the way that makes me feel in comparison to having to avoid all like social interaction or having a couple drinks is way it's just like it's magical right because i was a person like yeah i would drink a whole fifth like i would literally be on drugs smoking weed drink a whole fifth of whiskey and i might stay up for two days sometimes three if if, if the drugs were steady flowing like i was insane and so like for me to be able to just go like to Costa Rica and just like get drunk a couple nights and wake up and not drink again for four days. And we only drank a few times in the, like three times in the, in the two weeks or whatever. Cause we were doing a lot of early morning hikes and stuff like that. But like, it's, it's just that I, that was like where I kind of had that moment where I was like, this is actually how it's supposed to be. Like, it's like, we, we, we should be able to enjoy vacation, right? Like I had no work. I had no plans. You know, one of the nights we got drunk was like the last night we were there. So it was like, whatever, like we don't, we're not hiking in the morning. We're not, we don't have it to like to get up in the morning. Like you should be able to do that. And I think alcohol can be abused and I think it will suck the, suck the spirituality right out of you. I think there is part of it that just depletes you on a, on an energetic level. So it has to be, you know, what, uh, like I had Ryan Sprague, on my show talking about cannabis and he always says like, you know, with, uh, what's he say with great, great power comes great responsibility or so, a quote, something like that, you know, like with all of these substances, you have to be able to, you know, stay in control. But if you can, a lot of that, I think stems from people who get sober, they don't do any of the kind of trauma work. And I don't care if that's psychedelics or, you know, I've done six, seven years of regular yoga practice at this point, hours and hours of endless meditation, listen to tons and tons of different addiction podcasts. Like when I was first getting sober, I would listen to a lot of Rich Roll and he talks a lot about addictions and I was vegan at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was like perfect. So he was talking about veganism and addiction and that really hit home for me. And 
some Tim Ferriss podcasts and things like that. And really try to like understand like other people's stories. And then you realize like, oh, I'm very, very similar or, or I had that same experience, but I wasn't really thinking about it. And so then once you kind of like unravel and unwind all of this and you've really come to terms with it, I think that if you do reintroduce something like alcohol, once you've kind of released all of that, then you can be more normal and more social because it really was the underlying, whether it be mineral deficiency or heavy metal or actual like emotional trauma, there's always a trigger for a reason why some people can drink a little bit and then not become addicted. And then, but you and your human form became addicted. So like, why can other people play, play around and dabble, but you can't, there's something else going on that made you feel like necessary for you to keep getting drunk or keep getting high or whatever it may be you are numbing something out and once you learn how to feel all of your emotions and express yourself and you have good relationships and you have good community around you it's different when you reintroduce these things at least from my perspective but it, it took a lot of work you know i i had to take a period of time off i did the aa i did the psychedelics i did all of the things i had to really work at it before I felt comfortable introducing anything else in besides like a, a microdose, you know, but so it took some time. I've, I quit drinking heavily like five, six years ago. So it took a while for me to be able to play around with it. But once you can do that, I think you'll feel really, really free inside of your body and in your soul. Oh, totally. I mean, right. Like there's such a balance, um, that we're trying to reach. It's that, that internal divine union, right? Like of not like, existing in the pendulum swinging of black and white of demonization and this is good this is bad type of situation and I, I I know for myself that I'm not quite there yet with alcohol and there's still a bit of like um there's there's deeper levels for me that are still continually being healed around individuals in my life that um don't have really healthy relationships with alcohol and that I find it, I do find it challenging to exist in some spaces where people are just really like oblivious to what, to what's playing out. And so, you know, like I'm, I've always been curious if I'll reach a point where I can reintroduce and have a relationship with it. But at this point in time, I think that my body's still just going through too much and my greater like uh, hu <laughs> human detox process of like building, building the life that I really deeply desire to hold that doesn't feel aligned with that. And you're, you're right. Like there's a, it's such an interesting dance of like learning how to be normal, <laughs> whatever the heck normal is. And I like, I think that that's a big part of it too, is that I tried for a really long time to fit into spaces that I wasn't made for. And I would really beat myself up as to like, why can't I be normal? Why can't I be like other people? It's because like, I just wasn't intended to be there. And so it's also <laughs> been like recognizing that part. And like when, when spaces have served me and like when I can leave and that's a, it's been an important lesson. Yeah, the, the I do think the biggest part of it is also like who you surround yourselves with. Like I don't 
I went to uh, like a concert when I went back to Michigan and it was with like a lot of old friends who still party really heavily. And I was up kind of late and, you know, like I didn't, I didn't feel energetically that good about it. It was fun to catch up with them, but like, as it started to be middle of the night, you know, I'm like, no, this isn't how this is supposed to go. Right. Like this is, but then I was obviously very conscious of it and like, I don't do that, but I'm just saying like, it's the people you surround yourself with as well. When you're with people who nor, you know, they drink the one, two glasses of wine or, you know, one cocktail and two glasses of wine. And then they, they go home back to their families and they have a healthy relationship with things. If you can surround yourself with those category of people, then I think it becomes a little bit more enjoyable. But if you are going to quit drinking and then try to hit up an old friend you used to get hammered with and they're, you go out with them and they're just like ripping shots, like that's probably not going to feel right. You're going to start to get really triggered because you're going to feel like, oh, this is like the old pattern. This is exactly what I used to do. And then you'll be depressed about that. So I do think you have to kind oh, of, yeah. you have to cut some ties and you have to gain a better community to, to really reintroduce it as well. So there, there's a lot of work that has to happen before you feel comfortable with it. But I think that it is the ultimate goal. Yeah. It's like the reestablishment of good bacteria inside of the <laughs> gut, right? Like mm -hmm. you have to do the same thing in your life and like find that next, the next place that like really allows your system to land and to open up so that you can begin to, to really exist in a, fuller sense of self yeah absolutely all right i want to switch over to the last big segment of this podcast until you know we've touched on minerals a little bit so i want to see kind of tell us what it sounds like you started with morally and that's kind of where i got into it as well like a lot of matt blackburn podcasts that's actually where i found you obviously and then um Tell us like where you started diving into minerals, your thought process around like morally. And it sounds like you may have shifted out of that camp a little bit. So tell me like how you started with morally and at where you, where you live at now in the mineral space. Yeah. So the thing that I feel like we've been dancing around without like fully naming through this conversation is that there's a place that we're attempting to reach and in our internal systems and it feels like to me a place of divine union right like in a lot of camps in the alternative health world we can get into this hyper demonization of certain things that are necessary biological like realities that we need in order to exist as a human and we've seen this um time and time again and you know the work that's come into my life no matter who it's from has really greatly impacted my greater understanding and i really believe that 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 it all comes to me at a certain point to help get me to the next step and so like what one thing that the root cause protocol really did help me to understand and continues to help me to understand is the way that like inorganic iron that's been you know added into our world since the 1940s and then up to the 1970s has really impacted us as well as then we look at like what's happened in um the decimation of saturated fats and retinol from the american diet and you know that's work that i'm really really grateful for that's been brought into my life because it helped me to begin to piece together like why certain things were happening like throughout my life like why did i experience the 
gushing bloody noses as a child that like would last for over 20 minutes. And why did those stop as soon as I started having a menstrual cycle? Like a lot of answers began to be answered or like a lot of questions began to be answered for me that I always was trying to figure out that it seemed like no practitioner that had come into my life was able to adequately like give me a response because I always want to know how what's happening inside of the body is an attempt at a cure. And, you know, the work that has come that's been shared with me has really helped me to like paint that picture on a deeper level. Um, Where I am currently is that I think that there's a lot of nuance that gets missed. And this is where I think that it can become just like AA, right? Like the, we have to be um, aware of what, what new ideology we're grasping to to hold on to as a new form of dogma that's just an addiction to keep us from the from fully metabolizing what it is that we've like received and you know i think that there are layers you know one of the in my early weeks of sobriety somebody told a story that the the path to enlightenment is like a really long and narrow hallway. And, you know, as we move through life, we end up picking up different people's ideas or beliefs, or we come into this life carrying things that aren't ours, be it toxic loads that are passed down from our maternal line or the, you know, the, genetic encoding from our father and um or the paternal line in general and as we like go through this life we have to take off layer by layer because as we're like trying to get through this hallway we start to get stuck and we have to like remove every single layer of ourselves and so there's a part of this all that like you know i don't know if you align with human design but i'm a manifesting generator. So I'm just, I am designed as a human to jump around to a lot of different things. And um, I don't stay, I can't stay stuck in one sort of belief system for too long. Um, Like I let it, I let it come into my life and serve its purpose and then, you know, move on to the next thing that like also that the previous one laid a particular foundation for me to build off of. And so I, I'm incredibly grateful for the root cause protocol. I think that it is really important for people to kind of understand some, some more of the greater nuance. I don't believe that uh, some of what's being shared in the RCP is really being talked about in other places. And, you know, I've, I've met some really amazing people from my time. Um, diving into the root cause protocol and I'm continuing always as a as a humble student of the human body and of this life in general like further expanding my understanding of how we're created which you know in some ways I think is just another form of control right like mm-hmm. we're trying to play god in a lot of ways as humans and I don't I think that there's we have to be really careful as we go down these rabbit holes, because, you know, the theory of everything is based off a fundamental shared 
um, understanding of assumption. And from there, everything else is like, you know, built upon. So that's already a really shaky foundation. And I think that it's an important thing to understand anytime that we're meeting quote unquote science. One of my girlfriends had shared when we were going through a particular program, she said, you know, there, there's an element of this that is like a liberal arts class. And that's when it really hit me that like all of science is liberal arts. It's all built off of philosophy and some some level of theory. Like humans, humans are really addicted to this idea that we somehow know what's occurring, which is why there's some like new theory or discovery that's always unfolding or you're going to find somebody. Like if you look hard enough, you're going to find what it is that you want to support your view of of the world. And so this is where I think it's really important that we not get so lost in the weeds that that we're like looking for the proof of of like the answer like where is the the new thing that we can demonize? Where is the new external villain? And and so that's kind of where I'm at right now in the space of like the mineral like world is the coming back home to the fact that like we don't actually know anything. And where can I like tune into my own body to figure out what it needs to bring myself into deeper alignment with God and to bring myself into deeper alignment with with who I'm created to be. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I, I'm in the same boat. I actually have a, I'm kind of more into epigenetics, but I do pay attention. I've had my genetics read a little bit and I have an affinity to kind of accumulate more iron, which could have easily been the issue with all of the childhood issues that I had going on, just tons and tons of excess iron within the bread. And so I keep a, uh, I have a lady I had on my podcast, Dr. Christy Sutton, and she runs it's different because I asked her if she knew the full Monty iron panel and she didn't know exactly what that is, but she runs like a really deep iron panel. And uh, if she tells me to donate blood, then I will. And um, I always actually feel pretty good after that. But I used to just donate just sporadically. And a couple of times I didn't feel that good. So now I make sure I get checked by her. And then if she thinks that my iron's a little high, then I'll do it. So I used to just go like every two months and I think I kind of wiped myself out a little bit. So I do think the iron piece is critical and huge and people should have their eyes open to to the iron uh, fortification system within like pretty much every food you find in the middle of the grocery store has some form of it. It's pretty bizarre. But where I think I kind of disagree is how he kind of places like a dictatorship or like a hierarchical need of minerals. And I think it does does a disservice to like all of the other functions that so many other minerals play, you know, like he he's broken down copper and magnesium so well, and that's great. But, you know, you can talk to some other practitioners, they're going to break down zinc in the same fashion, and they're going to look at chromium and vadnium. And, you know, so they're going to add in some of the B vitamins and different things to help shift your ratios. And that's kind of where my wife and I, and even one of my best friends is on a protocol like that. And he's had some depressive episodes and everything that I've helped him with through psychedelics and different things. And he's even found a great deal of benefit and he was kind of doing some copper and stuff that I had him on before switching over to 
these Dr. Paul Eck type practitioners. And so I think there's a lot more nuance than just saying everyone needs copper because I actually um, didn't, he, my practitioner didn't put me on any copper based off my first test, but he said it'll be the next stage of my healing after my ratios get to where he wants. So then the copper will be added in. So I think all of it's important, but then it's at the period of time that you're in, whether that's a toxic load or I just went through a very stressful few years with mold and Lyme. So obviously my minerals weren't optimal where they should be. And I was kind of in a calcium shell. And then also where a lot of the practitioners think that if you're just stressed out, you should just use more magnesium. Like it's always more magnesium, right? And my practitioner actually dropped down my dose of magnesium from I was using about five caps a day of the bioptimizer stuff, which I love, but he's got me on like two caps a day and I feel great. So it's like, I don't, I think that the magnesium is kind of like a sedative and it, it does really calm you and it helps move those bowels through. So you can think that that's actually working and it probably is working better than doing no minerals. But at the end of the day, I think there's so much nuance between how these minerals interact with each other and then the, the cofactors like B vitamins and fat soluble vitamins and everything that come into play that you really want somebody who's who studies uh, minerals for a long time. You know, like my practitioner has been reading HTMAs for like 10 years and he studies Dr. Wilson and Dr. Paul Eck. And like I said, I'm always open to changing like you are. But for right now, these type of practitioners, when it comes to minerals, are are who uh, who I feel most called to. Sure. And I think, I think we have to be careful, right? Like, uh, I think it can be really easy to throw the baby out with the bath water in general. If we, if we find like the next thing, like, right. Like we can look at even Dr. Pete's like work and he heavily focused on progesterone and like, you know, there's a, there's, there's far more nuance to what's happening in the body. And I, I just think people need to be aware and careful of like what new God we're creating in our own personal world to answer questions in a way that we are actually avoiding something deeper. And that's kind of like, that's just to me, the bigger thing, no matter what, what it is like in general, I mean, we, you could add like whatever um, protocol or individual like even even myself i mean it's there's just there's nuance and i think that um the alternative health space does a really good job every so often of becoming the exact thing that it claims that it wants to <laughs> not be which is a monotheistic like style of hierarchy of this is this is the answer and this is where i think bio individuality is really like key to understanding like where a person is and what deeper emotional and spiritual things are going on too that are being asked to be ten tended to and are are we using supplements as a way to obfuscate the responsibility of of what it is that we're being asked to embody because like supplements aren't going to leave the job that we hate and supplements aren't going to leave the, the relationship that we that we're also like you know, being physically abused in and like the the supplements aren't going to have the hard conversations that we keep putting off for years. So it's like, what are, what else can be done? What are you avoiding 
underneath it all. Not to, again, throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that all supplementation or like understanding of, of the biology, biological reality that's occurring inside of our body is wrong also. But I like, this is, this is the divine union of the two. And this is where we have to like find that middle ground to like be able to actually build bodies that are well supported on all astral planes, including the physical 3D reality. Yeah, I like how you worded that, honestly. And and that I mean, that's minerals. I have become one of my obsessions, but it's not the only work that I do, obviously, right? I obviously work with combo and psychedelics. And like I told you before the show, I'm even about to start um, incorporating this zeolite powder, which I've kind of swore off binders for a while. But this this new product and this new guy's um, data is kind of intriguing me. So it's like, you know, I'm always playing around with things, seeing if like, okay, maybe this works, but then can we make it better? Or is there something better? So I, I don't get put into a box, but I, I did feel like the Morley thing was going to be like the ultimate, but it didn't actually, it actually, I gained a lot of energy and pests and parasites and a lot of things using, um, I was actually switched from more or least to Jason Hommel's protocol, which was like the high dose copper sulfate. And I've had him on the show. And, um, actually I, I did feel pretty decent on that protocol, but it, it didn't, after like doing it for like a year, it didn't quite get me all the way, you know, the brain fog wasn't all the way gone. And so I'm feeling a little bit better on the protocol that I'm on now currently. So, but I'm still trying to make it better and I don't want to act like it's the end all be all. But what I do like about the Dr. Paul Eck guys is they're pretty open with sharing the results. Like if you follow a, like Clark Engelbert or you follow my practitioner, Aaron Redox uh, Stasis on Instagram, who I sent you and I've had on the podcast, they show quite a few um, heavy metal dumps, you know, like when, when they start to show elevated metals in the hair that actually means that the body's letting go of it. it doesn't mean that you're you're been exposed to more metals basically when you have a low heavy metal reading in the beginning that actually means you're not eliminating the metals and then as they reintroduce and balance the minerals you'll start to see these dumps of mercury and dumps of lead and dumps of aluminum so for me i like that they they are willing to share their data because for me it shows that they're actually getting results so they've been the most intriguing to me personally yeah i mean there's somebody out there for everyone right yeah <laughs> so, and then i, I don't know if any good. one program works for everybody exactly i think that's we just have to i think that there's an element of acknowledging where the body's being called at a certain point in time even when i'm working with people one-on-one -on -one, like i trust that whatever the body is ready to release, it'll bring forward. And I also fully believe that what it is, like where we are in our level of consciousness is what's going to come into our awareness too, no matter whose work it is. And I think it's all just part of our like natural evolution. And the more that we try and fight like what's being like, where we're being met, and like, then, you know, hyper demonizing anybody's level of work is going to continue to create like that rejection wound. And then that like betrayal wound of like, oh, man, like I, I was wrong. And so this is where I think we have to have a lot of like grace, like in the humanity of the fallibility of being human, like, anytime the human is involved, we're naturally fallible, right? Like, we don't, we're not God. <laughs> like, and so it's, 
as soon as it is that we try and like uh, immediately assume that some human is God is the the second that that pedestal is going to be kicked out from underneath underneath us. Um, so I think it's it's just a big ego game um, within ourselves, and I think the more that we can really like come to the table of life humbly and like look at well how are we all part of this giant lymphatic system and where can we see the good that's being brought forward and like you know cherry pick like the parts that like work for us and you know leave what doesn't align without needing to like burn down the entire shit no i totally agree i i think every like Lyme disease protocol or detox protocol that I've tried has kind of, I think actually in the beginning I was playing around with zeolites and I may have made stuff worse, might've moved some metals around to the wrong place. Cause I was just like, Oh, I need to detox. And I bought a sauna and everything. But I do think besides that, once I started working with different practitioners, like each kind of protocol has kind of leveled me up a little bit more on the healing. And uh, so they've all kind of built upon each other and got me a lot of my brain fog and my energy to kind of restore and feel like my nervous system's kind of more into homeostasis. So I, I'm grateful for every period. And from there, I just keep learning and seeing what fits for me and trying it on for others who are around me. And so I don't really like here to like talk bad about anybody, but then I just, you know, just trying to discuss the differences and the nuance within protocols. And I, I just want some people to realize that like I've put a lot of random protocols and everything on a pedestal. And honestly, like more, more probably cured thousands of people, I would think, or at least, you know, they got him feeling good back into their normal lives or he, his pro protocol wouldn't have blown up the way it does. So he's doing something that works for sure. Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that, that what's come into my life at the times that it needed to like came into my life because there's been large doors that have opened as a result. And, you know, we just, we just keep moving forward or else we become stagnant and stale. And that's where mold grows. <laughs> and we, as you and I discussed, not really beneficial. Yeah. So wh where are you at now with like your mineral intake? Are you still doing some of the RCP? Have you played around with other minerals? Have you looked at other testing? What, what, what's your thought process on it right now? This is, uh, I mean, before you and I, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about what, what's been like happening in my world, like on a physical level. Right. And, um, like part of what I've been learning around the, you know, don't miss the forest, don't miss the forest from the trees is that um, I didn't realize how impacted by my living environment I actually was for the past year of my life. And because like I got, I lost myself in the world of different belief systems and people that believe that, you know, mold that isn't that bad. Humans have evolved around mold. Um, I kept discounting um, how much my living environment was actually really impacting my body. And the place when we, when we moved in, um, I was aware that there was mold and more mold kept like being illuminated in the space and it wasn't being handled in an appropriate way. And also because I was part of my learning is to ask for what I need. And I 
I wasn't doing that. And right after we moved in, I started experiencing um, uh, an even higher degree of sleep paralysis episodes. And in fact, um, like one night, like it really came as a shock to my system. I had four of them in a single night, which was like super abnormal for me. And I kept uh, blaming what it was that I was doing. And then I was like having a lot of um, issues with my ferritin, excuse me, and my hemoglobin. Um, and I couldn't figure out what it, what it was because I was like doing everything right. Um, and I've come to realize it was because I was like, existing in mold. And so there's been like, there's been a lot of, um, I don't follow everything by the book at all. I don't really know what I would call what it is that I do. And even when I'm working with people, though, I, I use certain foundational understandings of places to start. Um, there's a lot that I have found to be really beneficial that have come through either um, in the dream world or like through different conversation. Like I trust, I trust my body like deeply. Like that's the one thing that I've really learned how to do is like, I, I have a felt sense that I just can't really like put words behind of, of what's going on. Um, and so there's been a lot of other work um, that's come that's come through like I, I I consume certain things that like might not be particularly aligned with any particular protocol per se um, and so yeah like there's there's a lot of uh, structural basis uh, from like the root cause protocol in particular that I do still follow but then there's quite a few other things that I have in my arsenal of tools um, that have been really beneficial for kind of getting to the root cause uh, on even deeper levels of what's happening. And then also acknowledging like, oh my goodness, mold is actually way more impactful on an internal system and to the psycho psychology of a person too. And what, what we end up experiencing and like helping my body tend to all of that as well during this time so i don't even know what to name what it is that i'm doing outside of like <laughs> paris gets guided in certain places and ends up like utilizing different um different things as a result yeah i think we're very similar in that way i i really i don't think i ever followed all of morley's advice or all of jason's advice i kind of just literally like just kind of stay and try to stay in tune with my body and just play, cherry pick different things. And then this protocol of mine is like the first time where I was like, all right, I'll just do what you say. I want to see what it does. Because if I play around with the things that you tell me not to, and then tell you that your protocol doesn't work, then I didn't really, I kind of doing it a disservice. So this one, is, I'm actually pretty steady on just doing that because I want to try it for a while and see what it does. But usually I'm more like intuitive, kind of like you are. Like I'll take a little something that made me feel good from this protocol and keep it and then add it into a new protocol and just kind of see what works because I think we are a lot all very different and things may react differently in everyone's body. So I like that you do that because that's kind of how I, how I always stayed open and stayed different and kind of played around with our body words. It's a, it's a giant experiment that we're playing around with, but mold is crazy. I, I felt the most absolute insane that I've ever felt when I lived in a moldy house. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. It, it's been a wild experience. That's for sure. And to go back to your question too, I think part of the nuance that gets lost also in any sort of like overly structured protocol program is the fact that like in a female body, we exist on a 28 to 30 day hormone cycle. And so every single day I'm a different human. And so my needs aren't going to be the same, even on a mineral level every single day. And so that's where like, for me, finding like nuance and really learning how to tune into what it is that my body's asking for. And like, where can I like understand the synchronistic signs that are showing up also? And where can I tune into like the dreamscape and like the astral world? Cause that's been a whole like really big rabbit hole that I've been going down also and understanding that like women dream from their, from their wombs and like that there's deep healing that you can actually do in a lucid dreaming and astral state also. And like um, homeopathy utilizes the dream world. They, they, they tell you to pay attention to your dreams because often the remedies will show up in your dreams. And so I think like the more that we can actually like tune into the subtle bodies that are like giving us information and feedback and like really tuning into like to what else is happening um, is where a lot more of the magic happens without us needing to resign our power to an external source of, of knowledge. Yeah, that's that's so funny. You say that about the dreams. My my wife is like a dreamer of a dreamer. She's a she is super tapped into her dreams and she follows and listens to them. And it's like I feel like hers are more like life guided and mine are more super sporadic. And I, I sometimes I wonder if the detoxing of heavy metals actually affects the dream. I think you're kind of reprocessing like old old events because. Like I was just thinking the other night, like there was um, this kid in my dream, the whole dream that I literally haven't seen in like 20 years. Like I haven't seen him since high school. And like I we grew up on like the same street together. And I was just like, I haven't thought about this person or been around this person in so long that it had to be like something moving around in my brain where my, my brain wanted to process like an event that I or sometime that I hung out with him or something. So I think maybe mine mine are a little bit uh, wild right now as I'm trying to detox some heavy metals, but she's really tapped into hers and she listens to the signs and she, she loves her dreams. Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, I think it's, it's so interesting when I started first, uh, maybe not when I was first taking magnesium, but I can tell that there's like different things that are being detoxed out of my body because all of a sudden I will be hit with lots of memories like that. I'm like, Oh, whoa, I haven't, remember that and forever and just like you were saying which we kind of discussed at the earlier part of the the podcast is um you know the glymphatic system which is the lymphatic system of the brain uh works in the hours when our cortisol awakening system is like rising and and, and it needs the body to be in a sympathetic state in order to be able to detox the brain and so you're you're spot on like Hamid Jabbar and I have had conversations about this. So this isn't fully like my own personal hypothesis, but really believe that like that the detoxing of all of the heavy metal and 
myotoxins and everything is such an intense psychedelic experience for the body that we have to be asleep and then it's happening in an astral plane and yeah it can be incredibly abstract if you have some really funky stuff that's being cleared out of your body and and i think about this too in the same way like our ovaries and uterus as a whole is another detox pathway and so going back to i was um doing work with a gentleman who teaches people to heal their body in a lucid dream state um and one of the first things that he said to me was that women uh dream from their from their wombs and so you know really understanding all of the ways in which our body is always trying to like clear out the gunk clear out the karmic gunk you know taking the brillo pad to the soul um is really interesting and i think that the dream world can be like really fascinating and cue us into like what's happening and where we might need additional support to like clear the metabolic waste of life yeah and it's it's funny i think i heard wendy myers talking about this as a while ago like when you're detoxing as well that like people want you to think about like vision boards in the future and this and that but like for some reason when you're like moving around the heavy metals you're kind of stuck in the past because you a lot of things are bring being brought to the surface that you either didn't process the right way because of the heavy metals or the heavy metals hold some form of emotion that's related to the past so i always think about that too and i'm like yeah it makes total sense because sometimes when i'm like really fatigued from the, from like the detox. Cause I have like a sauna and a PMF mat. So like, sometimes I'm really am like feeling the detox kind of hard. I'll, I'll notice that I'm stuck in like the, almost the past or like thinking about childhood or like high school memories pop up or some, some really bizarre stuff that you don't normally think about on like a day-to-day basis. And I think that might be frustrating to people around you because they're like, let's talk about starting a family or let's talk about starting a business or, you know, you're supposed to be like in day-to-day life thinking about the future, but you're actually stuck in the past, but it's, you know, it's better than not removing the metals in general. Like obviously you need to go through that process, but I think it can kind of have you lingering in the past. Yeah. I mean, it's like we talked about earlier too, about how the body's always trying to seek reconciliation. And so sometimes we do need to revisit those things in order to finally complete the cycle to allow our body to actually metabolize and excrete the memory out as well as like allow it to be like released in our like energetic field of existence and so yeah it's pretty wild (laughs) i mean what we're experiencing is fascinating it's so bizarre because i'm like i try to like extrapolate it and think about it like is the metal blocking you in general from processing the emotion in the like in the time like so like i'm having the memory about the guy from high school did the heavy metal block me from processing some event that i had with him in that time frame or is does the metal just like hold a, uh, an emotion in general like a frequency i like i don't even know how to really put it into words but i've like sat around trying to like journal and think about this like what what's actually happening there where like you move around some mercury but you're having a a dream or a thought about like an ex-girlfriend or an old friend and it, it's really bizarre yeah it is it- 
I look forward to the day that we actually have an answer to this, which mm -hmm. maybe we'll have, we'll record a podcast interview when we make it to the other side. <laughs> and like, we're like, oh, I would finally know exactly yeah. what it was. But I do think that there, there's some attempt, you know, um, we were discussing this earlier that there's some attempt at a cure, right? Of the heavy metal being an attempt to protect us and whether or not that is like the the processing like so that we're not processing something that we don't yet have the skills to fully feel or or is it you know it, which street is it is it that the metals like cause us to to actually do this it's i think about this often and i don't yet have an answer <laughs> but i think it's really really fascinating it's like the chicken or the egg type of thing is like, is it, are you not processing because the metals are already there or like the other way around kind of where like you can't process because the metals or the metals like hold on to the events. So you can't process it fully. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's so hard and it's so interesting. Maybe one day they'll have an answer. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's a good one. So let's actually dive into for this last little bit here. Um, I want to like, actually, we've just talked a lot about your background and everything. Like, what does your practice look like? Like if someone reaches out to you for help, it sounds like you do a lot of female um, type of stuff and hormones and things like that. So what does it look like if someone wants to reach out to you and like work with you? Yeah, I like to work with women because that's the lived experience that I have. And it makes it like, because I'm not in a male's body, like I don't have that lived um, experience. I work with very, very, very few men. Um, and so just naming that it, part, part of what um, we've sort of talked about, I have created what I believe what I wish was like the 12 step program that existed when I first walked into a 12 step program. And it's, it's like my new body of work called school of the sacred. It's a rolling membership. There's 12 steps that we'll be going through every single month to really understand some of the, the deeper um, work of the spiritual fractures combined with the metabolic like world and how do we really utilize um our nutritional like basis in order to like allow us to walk through the portals that are being opened in life um for us for our like continued spiritual development um because like part of what's missing to me in any sort of recovery program is the deeper understanding of the nutritional side of it and like the one thing that i think that is really missing from just any of the like mineral protocols are the emotion like touching on the emotional side um of things so this to me is like the bridging of it i do work with people one-on-one -on -one also um but i am like funneling everyone into school of the sacred simultaneously so that we can all like work on really understanding how a female body was designed to function and then allowing ourselves to touch like some of the deeper blocks and allow our our soma to finally speak and let go of those memories like we were talking about like 
really getting them out on paper and like doing different exercises that can help us like touch the deeper embodiment of the feminine system because the feminine exists inside of the body and in order for her to be expressed we have to like go to those deeper levels and then where do we also like build the internal masculine to hold the structure so that we can have like strong erect spines and soft hearts to like meet the world and so i do offer different um call packages like if somebody really does want to do any of the like if anybody would like to collaborate on their journey together Mm -hmm. um and really kind of get to the root of what else is going on in the internal system and where we can really like see some of the psychosomatic parts of what the body is like expressing and how it's asking for help and support um, that's that is the work that that I do. Yeah, so it sounds like you. This is why I liked your approach. It's like because of your understanding of like emotional and trauma or addiction and destructive patterns that you blend that in with. Hey, also there is a nutritional basis that needs to be met, especially in today's world with mineral deficient soils and people just eating the wrong foods in general. So you kind of blend the two to where you're kind of almost a emotional style therapist mixed with uh, nutrition. Is that, is that kind of what what you're getting at? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's an amalgamation of everything, right? Like, which is perfect because we've been talking about mercury so much, but I mean, the body of work that I, that I exist in is, is the amalgam of everything that I've been you know, utilizing for my own healing and the things that I wish existed on my journey, right? I think that's kind of why any of us create any sort of program because we're like, oh man, this is what I wish existed (laughs) when I was like lost in the weeds. And so, uh, you know, because I've always seen the deeper like pattern of what was happening, but had a propensity to get stuck in the analysis paralysis you know, and like really understanding the nutritional part of it and how that kind of played into either like the expression of learned helplessness or the desire to be saved. And like, how can I, you know, alchemize that on deeper levels so that my body, my my actual physical body um, uh, is metabolizing, you know, everything that I'm taking in in the same way that I'm metabolizing my life too. And so that's, that's what I've created and continue to create. And I'm sure it'll evolve and change more and more as the years go on. And yeah. Awesome. That's amazing. Well, tell everyone where they can find you. I know you had a few podcast episodes, but it looked like you only did a few. I didn't know if you were getting back to that, but you can, you can let her send everyone that information, let them know where to find you website, anything that you want to plug. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do have four podcasts live and part of like my world with mold last year is that it did send me into quite a state of paralysis. And so I had like nine other episodes that have been recorded that just haven't been shared yet, but I will be releasing some episodes here shortly. Um, some real, some ones that I'm really excited about. And um, it's, if people are interested in learning more about what it is that I share, they can find me on Instagram, which is where I hang out the most. I'm going to be um, sharing a Substack like newsletter here shortly. And um, 
in through Instagram, that was the easiest way to just DM me or to send an email. If you'd like to do deeper work together, there's also links to School of the Sacred on Instagram, but I'm on Instagram at Paris underscore Hodges and also School of the Sacred on Instagram too. And yeah, that's where people can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was amazing. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends. Mm-hmm.